Welcome to the Basin Church Podcast. And as a church, our mission is to bring hope and wholeness through Jesus Christ. And no matter where you are and as you listen today, we hope that you find hope in Jesus and even move one step closer to being made whole. We are going to continue looking back at the Christmas story. And as much different from people living in that time, we actually get to go back and look at it from a different perspective. And we really get to understand ex- exactly what it was all about. But um, there's oxymorons in life, right? A lot of oxymorons. And one, I actually had a couple that would actually show up in my life. But, you know, you have icy hot and you have different stuff of oxymorons. They just don't go together. And one thing that didn't go together, but it was part of my life, was an organized mess. How can you have an organized mess? I don't know, but I did. And and that's another story and another time. But I'm I just uh, I just briefly... Um, I'm a piler. So what that means is, is if you go into my office, you go into my classroom, you go, uh, I don't know, and just part of my room and where I have, I have stacks of piles of stuff. And, and I just remembered, um, my friend, he would come in and he would say, Oh my gosh, how do you live like this? And he's very organized. And I'd say, look, I know exactly where it is. You're looking for this? Okay, go two sheets down right there. There it is, right? He's like, it's such a mess, but it's an organized mess. Okay, but that doesn't work. But the other thing when I was, when I, the oxymoron that was big and I used it a lot, especially when I was doing middle school, I'd say, um, controlled chaos. How can chaos be controlled? I have no idea, but it definitely worked when I was in middle school. I mean, when we were doing stuff and we were uh, kind of at church and we were playing games, I mean, if you walked in, you'd be like, this is chaotic. And I'd go, but it's under control, <laughs> right? They, they, they have some assignments and yeah, they're doing crazy stuff, but it's controlled. And so I always use that term and there's always um, just a spot from me doing middle school. Um, I've always loved middle schoolers. I love the controlled chaos. I love that. Um, and But all that, I thought, I thought really I was going to do middle school for the entire, my entire life. That's how much I loved middle school. But it was always a good, fun time. But, and, but really, you can't have chaos, life that's out of control, and say controlled in the same sense. Right? Because if we're honest, I mean, it was controlled to a, to a point but let's let's just be honest. If the kids got unruly and they wanted to throw a mutiny, they could, right? But but anyways, think about the the controlled chaos. Is this con- chaos is never controlled? It is never controlled, is it? It's either it's out of control or it's controlled. That's it. There's no kind of in between. So when you think about that, we use this term of life that our life is out of control. And in fact, if I asked you today, I'd say, Hey, how you doing? Some of you would say, Well, well, I'm good. Good. We're busy, but we're good. And then you really would say, but man, it's getting hectic. It's getting chaotic, right? And, it, and it's chaotic in the sense that your schedule's really busy. And perhaps you're just kind of working and family and you're trying to juggle everything. And it's just a time of season. And you're really just like, I just feel so out of control. And I don't know what to do. And uh, you're trying to do juggle your family. You're trying to juggle work, and you're trying to do what you're supposed to do during the holiday. And you're going, I, I just don't know if I can do this. But then there's some of you would say, well, yeah, it's chaotic that way, but let's just be honest, it's chaotic at my house right now. And for some of you, you'd say, well, all I want is a little peace and quiet. 
Right? All I want is just a little peace, a little just I want everything and everyone to get along and everything smoothly. And it's especially rough when you have relatives over. Or you're going to go see relatives and you might not get along with your relatives or your in-laws. And it can be a little stressful and you don't have your peace. But you can just say maybe some of your kids. Kids aren't making right choices. Right, the one thing I know from being a parent is if your kids are not doing well, it really bothers you as a parent and kind of sometimes can stress you out. And so sometimes some of you, maybe your, your child's not making the right decisions or, or maybe you've got two siblings at home that are constantly fighting or, or your blended family and it's kind of, kind of different and difficult at this moment in time. And, and all of a sudden it's just like, I just wish I had some peace. I just wish I'd go home. And then not only that, but maybe you're in a place where you and your spouse are starting to fight more. You're like, we, we haven't fought in a long time. And all of a sudden now we're bickering and we're arguing. And what are we arguing over? The kids or finances or whatever. And it's like December just brings all this to the, to the top. And it's like my life is just in utter chaos. And then some of you would even say this, that the world's in chaos. The world's a mess. And you'd go, the way culture is, is not the way I grew up. And the way culture is going is not the way I want it to go. And you're looking through a lens and, and a view of when you lived and how life was back then, and it has changed dramatically. And you're saying, man, the world has gone mad. And it's completely chaotic. And how do I do this? But the reality is this, that being overwhelmed is a result of your life being out of control. If you're overwhelmed today, it's because your life is out of control. And for some of you, it would mean this, the life is out of control because you don't manage your time well. You just don't manage your time well. You, you're, you have a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, you're not managing your time, you're juggling everything again. Some of you, you might not be able to um, prioritize certain things. But I think the one thing maybe that's happening that you're overwhelmed is you have a yes face. What do I mean by a yes face? A yes face is this. A yes face is you can't say no. Right? It's like not even your vocabulary. You can't say no to your mom. You can't say no to your friends. You can't say no to, to your kid, whoever it is. And all of a sudden you overbook yourself or you feel guilty. And you're like, I said yes to this, but I don't really want to do this. And now, and you just feel overwhelmed and out of control along with your kids, along with your job. Uh, and it's partly you. But you're just overwhelmed. So the question is this. What do you do in the midst of life being out of control? What do you do when life is overwhelmed? Well, I think most of us, what we're going to do is we're going to look for something to bring us stability, aren't we? We're going to look to something to bring us peace. We're going to look to something just to, to bring just completeness in, in our lives. And it's not something we need to look at. And if you're a Jesus follower, what do we need to do? We look at... Jesus. Because most of those things that we just talked about, some are decisions that we make and some of those are not. See, sometimes there's exterior things that cause out of, us lives out of control and there's some of our choices that cause us to be out of control. But in the midst of it, the, word, the place you find peace is not in something, but it's in someone and that is Jesus. And so what we're going to talk about and, and going back, really the the birth of Jesus brings a whole lot. And you will see this today. It just, it's amazing as I was looking at this, understanding the birth of Jesus, there was a whole lot going on here. And there's a whole lot going on what Jesus came to do and what he came to, to bring to this earth with this little child that was born that would grow up into a man. 
And so when you begin to think about this whole idea of Christmas, there are people, when they come to this time, they're looking for hope, they're looking for joy, they're looking for peace, and they're looking for situations to turn around. And so we've looked at this whole time that we've looked at the birth of Jesus, and this whole series is, is not we're just going we're just going to see what the birth of Jesus is. We're going to learn and know and gather something from the birth of Jesus. And last week we said it was all about hope. That the birth of Jesus, when he came, he brought hope. He brought hope to the people of that time. He brought hope to the people who were looking for the Messiah for years and years and years. And he brought hope to thus to those who lived after. Because let's be honest, during this time and any time, circumstances get rough. They get hard and they get difficult. And let's just, I would just say this, it's almost like some of us feel like circumstances are just pressing down on us. And we're like, oh, oh, and you just feel like you can't get out of the circumstance. And it's so like just pressing down on you and pushing down that you feel like you're in such a mess that you have no hope. And you just kind of go, well, this is just the way life's going to be. That's how it has to be. Because it's got you so bogged down that you can't see any good happening in your life. And last week we said this, it doesn't matter how hard you're pressed down. It doesn't matter how hard your circumstances overwhelm you. The thing is this, when Jesus came, hope is possible. And it doesn't matter how bad the enemy's got you down. It doesn't matter if life's got you down. It's Jesus who brings hope, and hope is possible. And so when you think that hope is all lost, Jesus says, it's found in me. It's not lost. The enemy's got you down, but look, I have come to, to overcome him. And there is hope in me. And so today, we, we talked about hope, but today we're going to talk about peace. Because what I know about you and what I know about me is we need peace, especially during this time. Not year-round, year but especially during the time of, of December and Christmas. So we're going to talk about this idea of peace. And when you look at this idea of peace, we're going to look at it that Jesus brings peace physically, and Jesus is going to bring it in a different way, and he's going to bring it spiritually. It's really interesting, the birth of Jesus and, and how this plays out. And so, again, this idea of peace, it's, it's really interesting, and we'll talk about it in the, in the Hebrew. But it means wholeness, completeness, and contentment. And so we will look at Jesus bringing this wholeness, this completeness, and contentment to people's lives. And so we're going to look in Luke chapter 2 again. I'm just going to read a little bit um, from what we did last week, but I'm going to give you kind of a different spin or a different look on it. Um, again, it's really interesting. We all have our ideas of how this all went down, the manger scene and how Christmas was. But when you look at the Scripture, it's completely different. Like we've, we've learned and have been accustomed to certain things, but the way Luke portrays it, there's some things that we think that actually never did happen or it happened differently. So if you're going to open up your Bibles, it's going to be up here on the screen. as Luke chapter 2. I'm going to go through 2 uh, and 6 and 7, and then we're going to look at another passage in the Old Testament. So in Luke chapter 2, verse 5, it says this, He went there, and this is Joseph again, and we talked about this last week, with Mary, who pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now last week we said that Joseph went there, right? So he goes to Bethlehem because he has to uh, basically a census for him, and the census is you can't do it in the town you're currently living, but you go to your hometown. His hometown is Bethlehem. Who's from Bethlehem? David. Okay. So all this to say is he would go back, he'd take Mary with him. And the reason why he took Mary with him, because 
he wanted Mary to obviously be with him. If he was separated, then he would miss out on the birth of his child. They also believed two things, that he was the Messiah and that he'd be born in Bethlehem. But the interesting thing about this is when the, the God uses the census. So for the Romans, it meant they're building an army. So if you're a Roman, the census was to actually see how many soldiers we have. For the Jews, since they weren't in the military, it was for tax purposes. So again, like we said, God uses his sovereign hand to bring about something and bring about the movement of something he prophesied years ago, that the Son of God, this Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. Okay, So now verse 6, here's what it says. And while they were there, the time came for him... To, or excuse me, the time came for a baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Now we talk about this and we said that she had other children, right? So it's firstborn, she has other children. But the interesting thing about this also is when you look at firstborn, so he's physically going to be the firstborn, Jesus, from Mary and Joseph, conceived of the Holy Spirit, right? And he's going to have half-brothers, and James is one of them. But the interesting thing, spiritually, when you talk about the firstborn, it would talk about this in Colossians. That he is, the, the, everything was created through him and, and from him. In John chapter 1, it says, The word was flesh and the word was God. And so they, they bring this in. And then, and then what uh, Paul would say in Colossians, he said, Jesus needs to be number one in your life spiritually. So the interesting thing is, is he's talking about firstborn, but then when you get to, to Colossians and Paul talks about him, he says not only is he the firstborn, but he needs to have preeminence or above everything else in your life if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus. So it's kind of this correlation of firstborn to being first physically to first spiritually in your life. And then it says this, uh, verse 7, it says, She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there's no guest room for available for them. Now, again, she would lay him down in strips of clothing or strips of cloth. And if you, you know, if you had a child, you take a blanket and you swaddle them so they don't hurt themselves or harm themselves. That's what she was doing. She was taking the cloth. She was putting it on him, making sure that he would be tight, not harm him and such. But the other thing is this. The reason why she did that is because it would be a sign to the shepherds. So we miss it, but, but the angel goes to the shepherds, and we'll talk about it next week, and they say, you will find the babe la- wrapped in strips of cloth in a manger. So the reason also she did it was so that they would know, God would tell them that this is how you're going to find the baby. And again, like last week, what I said was that you think it's just chaotic, right? You think it's this chaotic mess that, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant, I'm 90 weeks, oh, I'm about, to, I'm about to birth, I'm about to birth, and he walks into Bethlehem, and it was nothing like that, right? And we said a, a guest room or, or an inn was like a room off the upper room. It was like the room, and then it was attached to it or above, and so basically, um, if there was no room, there was no private room for him. So ultimately, he found a room, and if he was really desperate, it says that Elizabeth was around the town of Bethlehem, and she, he, she could have gone and seen Bethlehem, or uh, Elizabeth, excuse me. 
So again, he, it's not this chaotic moment. And the thing about God is this. We have this picture from our pageants, and we have this picture of, of kind of this whole idea that this, Christmas is this chaotic event. Right? Like they're just coming in. They don't know what to do. They can't find room. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, Joseph was from that town. Joseph knew many people. It was not chaotic. Because if you look at the King James Version, and it says that the time and the days were fulfilled for her to have a baby. So there was time from him getting to Bethlehem. There was days and days, and then she was ultimately ready to birth the child. They didn't come in at, the, at midnight going, oh my gosh, the baby's coming. It wasn't like that. And see, so God, when his plans, it, God is not chaotic. There's no, there's no chaos with the Christmas story. God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly how he plans it. And he's planning and he foretells everything and tells people and he tells um, these prophets, this, these are going to be the signs. Like you will know what's going to happen to this child. You know when the time is going to be near. It's not like Jesus goes, okay, the time's now. And everything's just rushed. It's not rushed at all. Never is rushed with God. If you look at creation, he's never rushed. He's not rushed at any time. So, And God knows exactly what he's doing. So he brings this king, this kid, this child who is going to be king and placed him not in a kingdom and not in a court. He placed him in the most humble place in that manger, that private guest room where maybe animals were stored along adjacent to the room. And so he begins to do this. And now what you have to understand is that happens but since God is not a God of chaos and a God of order, he would tell this beforehand to the people. And one of the big key passages he talks about and he tells that the Messiah is going to come and what he's going to be like is in Isaiah. And so we're going to look at a passage in Isaiah and how God plans this and how he does this. But in Isaiah, you got to understand before I get to the meat of the passage, I'm going to look back a little bit of the verses for you to understand kind of what's going on and what the prophecy is in regards to Jesus coming. So it says in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 9, it says this, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. That's good news. No more gloom for those in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. He says the gloom and the darkness is, is going to come, but it, it will be gone. And the reason why he says this is these are two tribes. He names the two tribes. They're in northern part of Israel. And when he begins to say that, he says that they are being disciplined. I'm humbling them because of their disobedience. So these two tribes, I'm telling you, that there is this idea that I am humbling, there is gloom, there is distress because of your decisions that you made. And even though he would say and use these two tribes of Israel, he would begin to say this, that there will be a future. And the interesting thing about all of this in the northern part of Israel, the northern part is Galilee. It's called the Sea of Galilee. It's the lake. And up there, Jesus not only would be born in the northern part, Right? He wouldn't just be, but his ministry would happen during that time. So it kind of presents there's going to be gloom, there's going to be distress, but again, Jesus is going to be there. He's going to do his ministry, 
and his upbringing will be in that part of, of the town. And so he begins to say this gloom is going to disappear. That what has you in distress will be no more. And then he goes to verse uh, 2 and he says this, The people walking in darkness have seen great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, in the light has dawned. So now, although the area is covered with gloom and everyone is distressed, he says the Messiah is going to come. There's going to be a glorious presence of the Messiah, that the darkness will be gone no more and the light will come. It'll be the Messiah. And he says that there will be a time will come when peace will prevail. Because what is happening right now for them is during this time, before Jesus comes on the earth, the Assyrians, the Assyrian king took over that part of Israel. And now they're under the Assyrian king. They're under that rule. So they're kind of distressed. They're kind of down. And he says, don't worry. There's a light coming. Don't be distressed. Your day will come. There will be time where now you're under and you will be free. There will be time where you have no peace and peace will come and you'll prevail. So then he continues in verse 4 and 5. He says this, Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. See, the time of peace is this. It would usher enter in and it would come. And you wouldn't need your battle gear. Your battle gear would be gone. Peace would come about. Why? Because the Messiah is coming through the lineage of David. The Messiah was going to bring the light. He was going to bring this peace. He was going to bring this joy. So once you were in distress, people of Israel, don't worry, there will be a day dawning, a new time coming where your joy will be restored and peace will come to you. And so he's giving them good news. And again, these two rejected rejected uh, Jesus. They rejected the Messiah. They were going with Jeroboam, who's a king who in the Old Testament kind of went his own way with God. But even though they rejected him, these two tribes, God would just come and do what he had to do in the midst of them. He would redeem them and restore them. A new time was coming. And why was a new time coming? Because God would say this, a child will be born. I mean, think about that. So all my problems are going to go away because this child is coming. That doesn't really work, does it? Like, a child will be born. But look what it says in verse 6. It says this, For us, a child, for us, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And he says the government will be on his shoulders because it refers to a kind of a kingly robe of the Messiah, that he would rule and he would govern. And back then, when talking about the time of Isaiah, people in that time, those governors didn't rule correctly. They didn't govern properly. So he said he will have the government upon his shoulders, and then when the Messiah comes, he will govern properly. Now, you always hear this misconception of the, the Hebrews and the Israelites missing out on God because they're expecting this warrior to come and overthrow the government. 
kind of makes sense because he's talking about governing, but it's kind of figuratively that he will govern his people well, kind of this robe on him. Okay, and then it's it says again, it says he will have four descriptive names. What first one is wonderful counselor. Now the thing about a counselor is this is back then a counselor was close to the king. He was in the court, and the king would listen to the counselor. So the king had the ear of the counselor. And not only did he have the ear of the counselor, but you know what else he had? He had the ear of the people. So he says, a wonderful counselor. The people are ready to hear this authoritative one. The people are ready to hear the Messiah, and they're ready to hear that God's teachings through the Messiah. And then it says what? He is a mighty God. And the mighty God, and they get this like person, he's this hero, this godly person. But really what he's saying is, is that he is God. That is showing that the Son is his strength and his divinity right there. That he will be a mighty God. And then he says what? An everlasting Father. And some people kind of get caught up in everlasting Father. And they're like, well, how does that work? How does the Son work with the everlasting Father? And the reality is, is, is we believe that you got the Trinity and you have God has three distinctive parts and He's one. That He has the Father, He's the Son, and He's the Holy Spirit. Then He has these three and, and they're distinctive. And the Son has a distinctive role and a distinctive part in all of this. And, and what He's saying is that they are all together. That He is God. That when Jesus came, He's fully man and He's fully God. And so everlasting also refers to him as being in time. He supersedes time because Daniel talks about that he will be, he's the ancient of days. Right? So that as well. But it also talks when he says everlasting father. The third thing is he says that David's king will be go on forever. There's a foreverness to David's dynasty or David's lineage because when David sinned and he messed up and committed adultery the one thing God says is, I'm not going to kill you yes I do forgive you but my promise will still be good that your line and your lineage will go on forever so that's kind of the whole word there about everlasting father but my favorite is this prince of peace it's it signifies his rule it signifies who he is Right, And when Jesus comes back in the end times, it says that he will rule for the millennium. He'll have millennial reign. He'll have peace on earth, new earth, new heaven, and he will rule. But here's the other thing about the, the, the peace of God. It is this, that he will cease warfare and he will bring wholeness. Warfare will cease and wholeness will come about. And the, the greatest thing about Jesus coming is that he will bring this wholeness. See, when you look at the Hebrew word, it's not in English, but it says Prince of Peace. The word peace there, it's shalom. And if you look at the Hebrew, there's many terms for shalom to high uh, as a greeting and to peace. But here it is a term of peace. But it has nothing to do with just ceasing strife, although it does. He's talking about it's more than just ceasing strife. What the word is, is when he says, Isaiah says the Prince of Peace, it says he is the Prince of wholeness, completeness, and contentment. That's that one word, peace, right there in the Hebrew. That's what he's saying. So if you read it, you say, Everlasting Father, he's the Prince of wholeness, completeness, and contentment. I mean, that is just amazing. He brings, see, Jesus brings wholeness. He brings completeness. He brings contentment to you and I. 
And the whole idea of the behind the birth of Jesus is this, that he brings peace. And when you look at this, the, the main thing of this is that Jesus offers the gift of peace to all. It's not just for one person. It's not just for selective people. But when Jesus came, he offered peace to everyone. But here's kind of interesting thing is when you look at this, right, and you understand this, you go, when you hear the word peace, you kind of think, okay, everything is calm. Right? Something's calm. And it is calm. I mean, think about if you get up and you watch the sunrise, it's like, oh, this is peaceful. If you've ever been to a lake... And you're the first one out on the lake, and there's no ripples, and it's just calm. You say that it's peaceful. Well, yes, Jesus' birth was peaceful, but there was conflict. See, when Jesus came, there was conflict brewing. There was conflict that was going to come, and there was conflict that had the opportunity to cease. What do I mean by that? When Jesus was born, the fight was on. Heaven began to suit up. Hell began to suit up. Because now what ended up happening, this battle that initiated with the Garden of Eden, with Adam and Eve sinning, it was coming to a head right now. And the first shot from God was not cannons, and it was not a bunch of gunshots. It was a cry of a baby. And heaven and hell were about to collide because they were now, the enemy was now on alert. This king is here. This son of man, the son of God, we must destroy him. We must go after him. And you look at it physical, you look at Herod and the story of the Christmas. Herod was threatened by a king. And so when Herod was threatened by a king, what ended up happening was he killed all the two-year-old boys, two years old and down. We've got to destroy this king. But it really was the enemy working, trying to destroy the seed and the lineage of David, this new Adam that would save the, the world from its sins. There was a battle raging. And there was conflict coming on. And so again, that when he came in the world, this, this, this conflict was starting. But there was a conflict that was ending between man and God. Because when, again, when you look back at the Garden of Eden and you have Eve and you have Adam and it is so perfect and there's nothing wrong. They don't even know they're naked. It's just a great world because it's perfect. But when they decided to do their sin and take their own choice and bring sin into the world, there was conflict between God and man. And it says there was enmity or hostility between God and man. And you know that you were looked as an enemy of God because of their sin. And this conflict now was about to end because what happened was man had to atone for their sin, atone for their mess-ups, so they'd get lambs and pigeons and, and clean and bulls to atone for their sins. And God said, this is enough. I'm going to send my one and only son to atone to make the one sacrifice for the entire world. It's on. And you might have conflict with the enemy, but I'm going to destroy this conflict that I have with humankind. 
And so humans now, when he sent Jesus and he grew up to be a man and he grew up to die, what ended up happening was this, that no longer are you seen, and it says in John, that no longer are you seen as an enemy, but you are seen as a friend of God. If you have a relationship with Jesus and God, you have this, this friendship with him. And so it ceases. So this conflict arises, but this conflict was starting, but yet it was ending. He's bringing completeness, wholeness, and contentment for humankind. And it, it, it continues on, and when Jesus came, okay, he comes in this world, and he came to the earth doing one cup, three things, okay? So he came to bring peace between you and him. God came to bring peace between you and others. And he also came to bring peace for you personally. So he's already done it with Jesus, right? He's already done it, and he's, he's brought you into a great relationship. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior, you're, you're in right relationship with him. You're a friend of God. He's done that. But let's talk about this time when you talk about family or friends. The time where there's conflict arising right now in your life. And if I was to ask you, hey, how's life going, and you were honest, some of you would say there's conflict with my family members, with my spouse, with my kids, with my boss, whatever it is, I have conflict with people. And all of a sudden we begin to say, well, why? Why do we allow this conflict to arise, not only just this time in the year, but throughout the entire year? Why do we allow conflict to, to tear us apart, divide us, to conquer us? Why do we allow it? And Jesus came to bring peace towards others. And, and see, again, you're, you're maybe here and you might have conflict with somebody. And the conflict might have gone on for a while, or this conflict might be something new. And all of a sudden, you're just like, there's tension between you and this person. And you're living with this tension, and it's really bothering you. And others are outside the, the whole problem and what they're saying is this, well, just let it go. Just move on with your life. It doesn't matter. And you're like, but I can't. There's something there. I just cannot move on. It's just, it's got me. It's just awkward. And I, and I really can't. I, I need to have peace. And again, Jesus comes, right, to give you peace. That's, that's the reason why he sent. The reason why he sent Jesus was for peace and peace between you and me. And when, when you look at it, he offers peace and Jesus offers forgiveness. And God's desire is for you to live at peace with everyone. As much as it depends on you, it says in, in Corinthians, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But somehow, that's, we, we don't live in peace because what has happened is the enemy has got into our lives. See, the enemy wants to conquer you. And the way he does that is he brings tension between people. He brings division. God is not a God of division. The enemy is. And so if he divides, then he can conquer. If he divides and he begins to isolate you, then he's got you even more. So what do I do if I'm becoming that and the enemy's got a wedge in my life and I don't have any peace and he's beginning to, and I'm beginning to isolate myself? What do I do? Let me, let me tell you this. Wholeness and restoration needs to happen. And it happens when you forgive. Let me say it again. Wholeness and restoration happens in relationship when forgiveness takes place. And so some of you, what you have to do is you've got to learn to forgive. And some of you are like, well, I, I just can't do that. 
Because I understand, some of you, you grew up in a house where everybody would get angry, and then the next day would happen, and everybody would act like nothing ever happened. And there was still tension, but how you dealt with it was time. Right? Your dad never knew how to say sorry. It was just time. And you were hoping that the longer it would go, people would just relax and sweep it under the carpet. And so you grew up in a house where you never said sorry, you just sweep things under the carpet and you'd go on, but the hurt was still there. So for some of you here today, you don't know how to forgive because of that. And that's why there's conflict in your relationships. And the other thing is this, is that some of you have a hard time saying you're sorry because you didn't do anything. Why should I make it right if they offended me? You have no idea what they did to me. You're right, I don't. But I serve Jesus. And I know what Jesus did. See, was Jesus was this, the man who was perfect, did nothing wrong. Who, was the, who, who offended him? I did. Who else did? Humankind by our sin. And yet Jesus still made it right, didn't he? He still made it right. He says, I'm going to die for them. Father, I forgive them, for they know not what they do. And if I call myself a Christian, I'm going to make, try to make things right, because that's what Jesus did. And if I serve Jesus, I'm going to live by the principles of Jesus. Yeah, they might not deserve it. Well, then I'm going to send grace and mercy their way. The way Jesus extended grace and mercy towards me. And then finally, it, it, you got that's all forgiveness. But finally, the other thing God wants for you is personal peace. He wants to give you personal peace. For some of you, I, I know this. This time is rough. And there's many um, things or many circumstances that have happened and situations that have happened that make Christmas and, and December rough. And right now you're going through a time and, and, and if, again, you look at your house and you think, man, my, my, I just want some peace. My kids are just kind of doing their own thing and, and life's just kind of crazy right now. And I've never fought with my wife and all of a sudden now it's all of a sudden it's just escalating and escalating and escalating. And it's like we're always bickering and I, I, I don't know why. And some of you, you drive home and, and you go, you don't want to be home because home is not a refuge right now. Home is not a place of peace. Home is a war zone. So you drive home and you are thinking, this is horrible. I don't even want to go home because I've got to deal with all these problems. What is he going to say to me today that's going to trigger me? Have my kid make right decisions at school? Am I going to have to deal with that again? Why does it seem like my, my life is overwhelmed and I'm out of control? And so you don't want to go home because it's a war zone and you don't have peace in your home. That is not God's design for your life. It's not. That is what the enemy does. He brings disruption. He brings chaos. He brings confusion. And he wants to divide families, believe it or not. If he can divide you and your marriage and ruin your marriage, he's got you. If he can get to, your, to you, he's going to get through it through your kids. He's not stupid. But here's the thing. God does not want you to live like that anymore. So here's what you have to do. You have to begin to speak and pray peace in your home. What do I mean by that? 
Here's what you do. See, some people think when you have to pray or you begin to speak or you declare things that it's some long prayer. It's not. It's If you don't have peace anywhere, if it's not in your home, if it's not in your job, here's what I encourage you to do today is this. Begin to speak the peace of God in your situation. Begin to pray and ask for the peace of God, that wholeness, that contentment, and that completeness in your family. And so what, what you need to do is you need to wake up and say this, I establish the peace of God in my home today. That's it. And then if you want to go further, you can go, today, Lord, I, not only do I establish the, 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 the prince of peace and peace in my home, I establish the kingdom of God and I establish the will of God. And Lord, I know the will of God is for us not to be in contention or disruption or angry, or dissension. I know that. So, Lord, I pray for the will of God to come now into my home. See, the enemy is a defeated foe. You have power in the name of Jesus. He is useless with the name of Jesus. You begin to profess and proclaim the peace of God in your home. The enemy will be gone. But again, you have to do it. See, God's done his part. I have given you completeness, wholeness, I've given you the peace, but you have to declare it in your home. If you don't declare it, God's not going to go, all right, I'm coming in. He's not like that. You have to profess with your mouth and begin to proclaim things so it happens spiritually and it begins to manifest physically in your house. So if you have that at work, I encourage you, when you go to your work the next day, I do it every day. God, I establish peace on the campus every single day. I establish peace in my home. I'm telling you, wherever you go, God will go with you. And he will establish it. So if you are in a place of unrest, if you're in a place of chaos, if you're in a place of life is out of control, begin to speak the Prince of Peace into your home, into your life, and into your workplace. And into your marriage. And you'll see the transformative work of God working in your life. See, the, the, the interesting thing, I, I looked at Mary real quick and as we finish is this. You know, I just remember watching our kids and, and my wife going through the trouble of birth. It's, it's painful. But there's such an excitement and a joy when that child comes out. I'm not saying the pain goes away. I'm not saying that. But everything that was worked up and, and the pain and all that stuff and, the, and just getting the child out, now all of a sudden you have excitement and joy. Think of Mary's face. Mary goes through all this trouble of carrying this kid and, and the birthing pains and everything, and finally Jesus is out. Can you imagine the excitement and joy she sees when she goes, that's my Savior. That's the guy who's bringing me completeness and wholeness and restoration. Think of the people who came and saw him. They knew at that day that he was going to bring completeness and wholeness and contentment. You can have the same today if you allow Jesus to give you peace. There's excitement around the birth of Jesus. There's excitement with who he is. And today he wants to give you peace and establish peace. Do not allow the enemy to destroy your life any longer. Thanks for listening. And if you would like more information on our church or you'd like to visit us in person, you can go to basinchurch.org. And as always, we hope this content helps you on your faith journey.